your Bibles, guys. I want you to turn with me back to St. John, the 17th chapter, verses 20 through 23. Those have been our base scriptures for this passage here uh, that we've been dealing with. Um, And and while you're turning there to that 17th chapter uh, and verse number 20, uh, uh, noted uh, German uh, pastor, theologian, uh, and Nazi uh, Defender against Nazism back in the in the forties was a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and many of you probably have heard him quoted quite often if you do a, a lot of reading uh, in in uh, Christian books and stuff. So, but Dietrich said something that I think bears repeating here, and it's going to help us to understand the value of unity and that we need each other. He said, "Sin demands to have a man by himself; it withdraws him from community." He says, the more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over his life. I'm going to repeat that. Sin demands to have a man by himself. That's why, guys, when, whenever somebody is, is in, into something that they shouldn't be in, they pull away from church. They pull away from the community of faith because sin wants to isolate you. It wants to keep you in the dark over there because if it can keep you separated from people, and not connected, then you, 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 it, the hold of sin just kind of keeps on going all over you. And I thought about this when I, when I, when I read that. Uh, you guys remember I shared with you a while back about uh, uh, redwood or sequoia trees. Uh, and just north of San Francisco is a, a, an incredible forest called the Muir Woods. And in there you'll find these giant sequoia trees. Uh, many of, uh, they're, 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 they can grow to heights as tall as 350 feet. That's a big tree. Can I get a witness? And 350 feet tall is, if, if you can kind of put it in, in our modern vernacular in terms, it's the, the height of a 31 or 32 story building. Now you think about that, a tree as tall as a 31 story uh, building. And, uh, but it's interesting that, that for a tree that tall, the roots grow down only about four feet into the ground. Uh, Yvonne, you know, our, our former workplace that we used to work at CNB, Commercial National Bank Tower, I remember when that tower was being built. And I would pass down there on Texas Street and saw how deep down they were going into the ground before they ever came up above ground with metal to make that 24-story tower there in downtown Shreveport. Uh, but they went deep down, further than four feet into the ground, because when you go up high like that, you got to have a sure and solid foundation. But these trees going up upwards to 32 stories in height, the roots only go down four feet. But these, these, these trees have, uh, are known and referred to as uh, the largest living things on earth. And uh, they've been standing for many, many of them for over 1,500 years. A tree, okay? And, but while their roots only go four feet down into the ground, their roots are intermingled with one another, okay, with the sequoia trees that are next to them. Each tree, guys, is able to stand strong through the centuries because each tree has an interdependent posture. In other words, the roots of that tree is intertwined with the tree next to it, such that when strong winds come, when storms come, they are able to still stand in the midst of horrific storms because they are connected together. And there's a picture for you and I today, guys, uh, when it comes to our faith walk. Many of you, uh, uh, many Christians uh, are of the opinion that I can do this by myself. 
And you know what? I was one of those guys who was like that. I can do this by myself. It's me and as long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. But I'm here to tell you today, guys, uh, if we're going to grow, if we're going to experience transformation, we need each other. Just like those sequoia, those redwood trees uh, draw strength from each other. We can draw strength from each other as we have interdependent relationships. No sequoia tree grows alone. Likewise, no believer is transformed by himself. Are you with me? Uh, the authors, and we'll get to the section right here, but the authors of the, of, of the book that I was reading called Transformation Discipleship noted that the discipleship leaders they interviewed for the book while, were overwhelmingly declared that discipleship best occurs when a believer is in an interdependent relationship with other believers. I've shared with you before, all of us come into this world totally dependent, right? We are, we are totally dependent on mama and daddy. Am I right about it? Tony, you just had a, a, a new grandbaby, amen, uh, and, and your, your family is helping be fruitful and multiply and replenish this church, so I thank God for you and your children. <laughs> but Kiara's little baby, uh, Cody, came into this world, and, 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 and Stephanie and Kader's little baby and others that have been born here recently, they came to this world, but they were totally dependent upon their parents. They can't eat by themselves. They can't change their diapers. And how many of y'all know diapers need to be changed? I mean, that's a part of motherhood and fatherhood that, that's not, that's not all, that smell good all the time, right? All right? But you have to change. They're totally dependent. We come into the world totally dependent. We are teaching our children to be independent, prayerfully, as they grow and graduate high school, graduate college, go to trade school, uh, 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 start a job. We, we, we push them out of the house. I say push. We, we, we gently remind them that the way this thing is supposed to work is that mom and dad will someday be empty nesters. And we love you. And you can bring your grandbabies, the grandbabies by, let us, let, us, let, us, let us have our time with them. But they are your responsibility. And when we say it's time to go, it's time to go. Can I get a witness? All right, so, 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 so we, we teach people to be in, in, independent. But when we come into a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then now we're called upon by the Holy Scriptures to, to enter into an interdependent relationship, an interdependent posture, such that the giftings that you have and the giftings that I have mesh together and we strengthen one another as we walk this walk of faith. Can I get a witness? So we're, we're called upon to be an interdependent relationship. These discipleship leaders were deeply concerned that the timeless truth of maturation in community is subtly being replaced with an American individualistic approach to spiritual growth that constantly uh, promises roots that go deeper without roots that widen into relationships that intermingle. And and again, uh, part of our our studies uh, in in our real God studies talks about going deeper. And we need to learn more. We need to have a a solid foundational construct of what we believe. Because if you don't know what you believe, any wind or doctrine that's, that's the latest and the greatest will come along and move you off your foundation. So know what you believe, but also in your knowing and in your getting, in, getting understanding, we also must realize it is critically important for us to connect with other believers. Are y'all listening to me today? And so, so, so this individualistic 
idea where I can do it by myself and, and my, my, uh, my, my life is private. That, that's, that's not backed up by scripture. There's a fellow by the name of Aubrey Malfers, who's the president of the Malfers Group, and he's a trainer and a consultant uh, to churches and denominational leaders and ministry organizations throughout North America and Europe. Uh, and when discuss, discussing discipleship, he spoke of the need for our discipleship to emulate the relationship Jesus had with the early disciples. And hence, that's why we've been unpacking over the last few weeks and looking at Jesus and how he operated in community with his disciples. Can I get a witness? He said this, Aubrey said this, he says, we look at them, the disciples, and they were really a struggling crew, but Jesus took time out to relate to them. In discussing the constant neediness of the early believers, he described Jesus in this way. So, for example, he says, we see his dealings with the disciples and how they keep falling flat, yet he picks them up and keeps going. See, you're going to be in, you're going to be in relationship with people who sometimes fall, and you're going to fall, but thank God that you all are intertwined together where I can help you and you can help me. Can I get a witness? So if you fall, I can pick you up. If I fall, you can pick me up. That's where that interdependence comes from, and God designed us to operate there that way. So, but, but, but listen, transformation is likely to occur when a believer has truth applied to his or her life while in interdependent relationships. An interdependent posture is vastly different from either a dependent or an independent posture. Because again, it, uh, when you're dependent, watch this now, when you are in a dependent posture, it's actually an unhealthy relationship. Because as, I'm, I'm talking about a grown person now, as the, as, when you find security and your worth in another person rather than Christ Jesus, that's unhealthy. I love all y'all, and I, I, pr- I pray that you would respect me as your pastor or leader, but I don't want you to depend solely upon me. Are you with me today? Because if I fall and you're depending solely upon me and not looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, then you're going to be messed up when I fall. Some of y'all are too dependent upon your parents. You depend upon your spouse. And, and, and God knows those relationships are valuable, but don't be so dependent upon those relationships such that when that person falls, you fall. Depend on Jesus. Look at the neighbor. neighbor. Are you depending on Jesus? A dependent posture. Dependence on another is, is really, when you think about it, it's a form of idolatry. Finding ultimate fulfillment in someone other than God is idolatry. And, and it'll, it, it's going to saddle that relationship with unrealistic expectations, guys. And equally as destructive is independence as the believer attempts to live his life by faith alone. Throughout the biblical narrative, you always see community is emphasized and it's not only emphasized, but it's commanded. It is never presented as optional. So this stuff that we're teaching is not something that, well, you know, if you, if you agree with you, know, I, you know, Brother Pastor, I understand what you're saying about community. I understand about these small groups serving together, studying together, doing life together. But you know, it's not me. You know, I just, I'm cool. I'm good. Well, no, you're not good. None of us are good. We need each other. Unity. I need you. You need me. Because the Bible says so. And when you look at Jesus and how he interacted with his disciples, guys, he's telling us we need it. Now look at John 17. That was a long introduction, but I need to try to lay some more foundation for you. See, so do you have your minds focused now? So in other words, community is not optional. Now some of y'all are so prideful. I say some of y'all. Some Christians are so prideful. 
I don't want you to think I'm talking about you individually, but some Christians are so prideful that they actually think they don't need anybody else. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm a self-made man. Well, I'll tell you what. Okay, so you, you're a self-made man. You're a millionaire. You got a company going. But if you don't have customers to, 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 to buy your product and service, soon your business will go out of business. You need somebody. Can I get a witness? So, guys, we've got we to realize this. Let's look at John 17, verse number 20. Come on, let's get back there. This scripture, again, has, has been exploding in my spirit for the last year or so. And it boggles my mind. Not really, it, I, I'm coming to grips with what Jesus was actually saying here. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Keep reading. Let's go. Next verse says what? I pray. Will y'all read with me out loud? Because it's something about reading the word of God and hearing it articulated coming from your, from your voice. The Bible says uh, that, that, that the death and life is in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. So words have a, an ability to create. Have you ever wondered why is it that God who's all powerful and all knowing and can do everything when he started to create why didn't he just, just think about it? And the earth just came to pass. What, have you ever wondered? And he says we're created in his image and likeness. And God, the Bible especially says, and God said, let there be light. God said, let's separate the firmament from the midst of the waters. God said, let us make, God said, there is something about words that have the, I heard one guy put this way, and I never thought about it, but I think it's true. He says, words are spiritual containers. And what we speak and what we say can produce life or it can produce death. And I'm going to tell you, you better watch what you say with your mouth. Because the devil is sitting there waiting to capture it. Amen? But words are important. He says, I pray that they will, be, they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world, what is the world? The world is the world system. The world is anybody who does not have a personal relationship with the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ. They are classified as being the world. Are you with me? The world system. The world's way of doing things. When you're part of the world, that means you're doing life apart from God. Doing life apart from God. I pray that they will all be what? One. Just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So that the world will believe you sent me. So that those who don't have a relationship with you will believe that the Father in heaven sent Jesus Christ the Son here on earth. Next verse. Watch this. 22. Can we read? I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one, here we're talking about interdependence as we are one. Next verse. This is, one I want, this, this is the crown jewel here, right? Watch this. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world, those who are outside of the kingdom citizenship, those who never made a profession of faith in Christ, those who are doing life apart from God, may May, may, may they experience what? Such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Look at that last part. 
that the world, those who are not saved, those who are operating according to their own little world, doing their own thing, just doing me. How many of y'all ever said, I'm going to do me in this season of my life? Well, let me tell you something. I, I, I would, don't do you. I mean, all of us are unique and we have our unique personalities and God didn't make us all alike as far as personality events. But when you do you, make sure that your personality bent is being lined up to do things that are in line with God's word for your life. Are you with me? All of us are not the same personality-wise, and we do things different. We like different things. But at the same time, we ought to be conforming to the express image of God's dear son. That's Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. The Christian faith is personal but never private. I'm going to say it again. The Christian faith is personal, but never private. People will tell you, well, that's, that's private. Keep that to yourself. Baby, let me tell you something. Nowhere in Scripture are we, are we commanded to keep our faith walk to ourselves. In fact, the more personal the faith is to, the, to a believer, the less private that faith becomes. If a person claims his faith is private, he has adopted a view that is contrary to God's view. From the development of Israel to the building of the church, God has always gathered his people in groups. As a matter of fact, uh, the word church, we talk about the church, uh, the nature of the word church in the New Testament dictates that the Christian faith is not private and that God designed maturation or spiritual maturity to occur in the context of interdependent relationship. Because the word for church in the original language is ecclesia. Y'all heard me say it before. Everybody say ecclesia. That word ecclesia is, is a compound Greek word from two words, ek, which means out, and kaleo, which means to call. So literally, the church means the called out ones. We are the ecclesia. We've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of God's word, amen? So nothing that we do as a believer, when I say this, it's, it's, it's demanded that it stays private. Because our faith needs to be talked about. How is somebody going to know about Jesus if we don't say anything? How can they hear without a preacher? And guess what? Every last one of you in here have been called to preach the gospel. Let me say it again. Every last one of you in here have been called. You have an assignment from God to preach his word. I said you have an assignment from God to preach his word, to be a living witness. Now, again, we talked about this, guys. We said that Jesus in his community with his disciples was something to behold because he walked with them while he was here on earth, when his public ministry began right around the age of 30, and he spent about three years, three and a half years, pouring into these guys and doing life together with them. And that's our example. And we said when we, we began to, to, to pick on that thing a little bit more, we talked about the fact that, that Jesus uh, uh, had some, some things and parameters, and we, we, we've been dealing with demonstration. The, the fifth point in your outline is demonstration, okay? And we talked about the fact that he, he showed them how to live Practicing prayer, turning to the scriptures, teaching, serving, and sharing the gospel naturally and freely. Now, we, we, we look at the practice of prayer, and we looked at the use of the scriptures. And, and what, I would, what I'm going to ask you to do is, let's, let's take a look at Luke, the 8th chapter. We saw in Matthew, the 4th chapter, where Jesus used the scriptures to combat or to, to resist Satan as Satan came against him with temptation. Y'all recall that? It, when he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and that's what the devil do. The devil will come and try to hit you at your weakest point. Yeah. Let me ask you a question real quick. How many of y'all can think about a weak point that you got right now? The devil keeps just, he just keeps 
or the devil or your flesh keeps on yeah, coming at you in that area. Anybody got an area where you can think of right now? Don't, don't, I'm not going to ask you to, to, to raise your hand and tell me what that area is. But it seems like you keep getting tripped up in that area, right? It seems like the, the person that gets under your skin the most is the one that happens to come by when you decide that you're going to start praying more, you're going to be more uh, alert, you're going you're to start uh, living uh, for Christ in such a way that, that your testimony will be talked about in, in a way like Paul, when he's talking about some of the people that he was doing ministry with, he says, I've heard about your faith. But it seems like the enemy will send somebody or the person that you, who you, who you uh, uh, have trouble getting along with will come into your life as soon as you make up your mind that you're going to do something that God told you to do. Y'all ever notice that? I don't think that's just by happenstance. I think that whenever we decide that we're going to make up our mind to do a thing, we're going to be tested. We're going to either be tempted by the enemy or tested by God. We're going to be tempted by the enemy because temptation is designed to come into our life to make us fall. Testing is designed to come into our life to make us grow in progress. Know the difference. The enemy comes with something to try to get us to fall uh, into sin. But God brings a test in our life like he did with Abraham to build us up and to grow us so that we can be more equipped and better equipped to live life for him. Can I get a witness? So, so as we look at this thing, we said, look at Luke uh, 8. So we saw how Jesus was tipping in the wilderness. But every time, what does Jesus do? Here's a pattern for us. What did he do? He used the word at every temptation that the, that the enemy came with. Jesus said, it is written. Now, I got news for you. Listen to me carefully. If it was not a temptation, the Bible would not be true. Jesus was fully God, yet fully man, yet he faced temptation. If there was not a tug or a pull to short circuit receiving the kings of this world, if there was not a pull or a tug for Jesus to even have that thought come his way, then that was not a true temptation. But it was a true temptation. Because Jesus knew that he had been sent by the Father to die on the cross for our sins. And Jesus knew that because he's fully God, yet fully man, he knows the beginning from the end. He knows that there's going to come a point in time where he's going to establish the millennial kingdom here on earth. Y'all, we'll talk about this one day uh, as we continue to teach through the Bible. But there is a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on his throne in the millennium kingdom here on earth. That's going to transpire. That's going to transpire, and, 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 and people have different thoughts about, about that. But, that. but as I read Scripture, that will take place after the rapture of the church. Jesus is coming back for his church, and we're going to be caught up. Okay, can I show you right quick? I know this is a sidebar, but I need to show some of y'all looking at me like, what are you talking about, Pastor? Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, and look at verse number 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, look at verse number 13. Listen, guys, as we look at what is happening on the world scene, there's a whole lot that's going on. And, and, and again, as Scott said earlier, pray for, our, pray for the folks of Ukraine because there's evil that's amassed. Uh, uh, and, and, and when you've got a country that just come in and try to just take over your country, I mean, that's, that's evil personified. And there are a lot of believers there in Ukraine. And we need to be praying for them, praying for God, praying for God's supernatural deliverance. I'm going to tell you something. 
God is able to do exceeding abundant above all that we can even ask or think according to the power that works in us. God can, can, can even though you may be outmanned, you may be, uh, you may, you may be outgunned, but if God is on your side, just like he is with the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel is surrounded by countries that would like to see them wiped off the earth, but God is keeping them. They're small as far as uh, circumference and area, and, but they got a mighty army that's, that's defeated a lot of the enemy that's come against them. When God is on your side, I don't care how, how, many, how, how much you've been outnumbered, he's able to see you through. And we need to know that. Now watch this. Let me get back to what I was saying. Because again, I, I told you that there's going to be a millennial rule uh, of Jesus Christ here on earth. So the, the order of events is, this, is that as we get closer to that time, there's going to be a rapture of the church. Y'all hear me teach this all the time at funerals. Look at what it says, the funeral of a, of, of a believer who's died. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Can we go to the KJV on that, Brother Jay? I love the way the KJV reads on this, okay? Watch this now. Paul writes this to the church of Thessalonica, and he's writing this because they were, they, were, they were concerned about loved ones who had died because there was some confusion and, and, and there was all kind of teaching that was going on, and he tries to, to solidify uh, their thought pattern on what happens to believers who die in the Lord. And, I, I, and, and, and all of y'all who've lost loved ones, and all of us have, uh, and, and, and those loved ones who were in Christ Jesus, this should give you great comfort to know that death is not the end of the story. See, when you know this, what you know it deep down in your spirit, and when you keep repeating this and, and putting this in your mind and let the word just meditate on this and begin to get it down in your spirit, then though, even though you will sorrow, you will sorrow like people who have no hope. You won't. You won't sorrow like people who have no hope. Look at what he says, but I would not have you to be ignorant. That means to not know, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Look at the next verse. It says what? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, who have died in the Lord, will God bring with him. Or if he's going to bring with them, that means, okay, let's see the rest of the story. Watch what happens. It says, so for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are what? Where we which are what? Alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or shall not go ahead of them which are asleep. What is he saying? That there, he says we who are alive on this earth when God comes, when the Lord comes back, we will not be caught up before those who did, who died prior to the coming rapture. The rapture, is the, the word rapture itself is not the Bible, it means a catching away, a snatching up. I can imagine if I use my spiritual imagination, there will be some churches who will be meeting on Sunday morning and the rapture comes right then and then shh, people disappear and somebody will be looking around. What happened? Where did everybody go? Oh my God, what happened? Who kidnapped them? And if you're sitting there, that, that's going to mean that you didn't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You were religious. You served on the deacon board. You even preached in the pulpit, but you didn't know Jesus. He says, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. We're not going to go ahead of those who sleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the child, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the what? Dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Now, that's the promise, guys. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, Pastor, I thought you said to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. It is. Because when a person dies physically right now, then the body goes back to the earth which, from which it came, but the spirit man goes to be with Jesus. And so when Jesus comes back, he's bringing that spirit man with him so that the body will be resurrected, glorified, and have that glorified body like Christ had. That's going to be a reconnection of that body that was here on earth that's now in the grave. It's skeletons right now, but guess what? When Jesus comes back, I need somebody to hear me now because if you don't believe this, you won't have any hope. But if you trust in the scripture, even though your emotions, even though your thought life is saying, I don't understand, don't, you don't have to understand, just believe and trust it. Because I've learned that if I trust what the word of God says, God provides me comfort and peace. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. All right, watch this. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Who is them? The dead in Christ. Shall be caught together with them where? In the clouds. To meet the Lord where? All right, so now... At the rapture, the Lord does not come to the earth. We're going to meet him where? In the air. All right? So we have a rapture. So after the rapture takes place, then there's going to be a, because it's going to be mass confusion across this globe at that time when people just disappear. And guess what's going to happen? After three and a half years of peace, that Antichrist is going to come on the scene. After everybody disappears, he's going to come on the scene with an explanation of what happened. And everybody's going to come and, 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 and bow down and follow that Antichrist, that that that. that that world figure who's going to bring peace at that time. Three and a half years of peace, but then after that, three and a half years of total turmoil here on earth in that seven-year period called the Great Tribulation Period. And after that Great Tribulation Period takes place, then we're going to come back with Jesus, and this time he's coming to the earth to wage war. Have we, did we study that in the real God study? He's coming back as king and man waging war when he comes back to establish his millennial kingdom here on earth. So when I, when I know that, when I believe and I trust in that, then now I can have great comfort no matter what's happening around me because I know what the word of God is teaching me. Can I get a witness? All right, so, so then which we alive remain shall be caught together with the, meet the Lord in the cloud to meet, to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Look at verse 18 says, that's why I always read this at film. It says, wherefore, Comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with those words. Not with, well, you know, I, I understand. Sometimes we don't understand what a person is going through. And sometimes we don't know what to say. And so, sometimes it's, it's best just to be quiet and just be there. All right? Because people can say some stuff that, that you know, that, they mean well, but, but, but they really just, just be quiet and pray. Amen. Can I get a witness? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So let's get back. Get back. Get, go, go to Luke the eighth chapter. I, I gotta hit, hit this real quick. So Jesus. First of all, we said number one that the practice of prayer, and I gave you those six index sentences that taught us how to pray. And if He taught us how to pray, there's a pattern for prayer. Don't just go nilly willy and do it how you want to do it. If, if Jesus took time to teach his disciples how to pray and what to include and the order of uh, structure prayer, don't just go bum rest the throne talking about, Lord, I need this right away. 
there is a pattern that Jesus gave. Those six, put them up right quick, those six indexes, and we're not, just pop them up right quick. Worship, allegiance, submission, petition, confession, and deliverance. That should be a part of our prayer life. We had the use of scripture. Jesus used scripture quite often in teaching his disciples. Jesus often demonstrated the importance and the use of the Holy Scriptures in his personal life and as he interacted with his disciples. He would take great pains to impress on his followers the meaning of passages in the Bible, and he never ceased to use the Scriptures in his conversation with them. He was always talking word. It was made clear to the disciples that if they were to continue in his fellowship by the Spirit after he ascended back to heaven, they would have to abide in his word. Abide in me, Jesus tells them in John 15. But look at Luke 8, chapter verse number 4. Watch this. He used the word when he was tempted. And now he's going to show them that how you receive the word is going to dictate and determine how you're able to grow and mature. Now listen, I can teach until I turn purple up here. I can teach until I turn from an African-American man to a Caucasian man. And you will see that miracle of me turning from an African-American to a Caucasian or vice versa. But that won't move you if you don't receive the word the right way. I can teach on marriage, and we've been doing marriage ministry for 25 plus years. But people still acting a fool in their homes. I can teach on giving and what God's word says and and how how God uses that avenue to get us to trust him. But if your heart is not conditioned in the right way, I can teach it all day long, but it won't do you any good. Look at what the text says here in Luke, the eighth chapter, verse number four. See, Jesus used the scripture, but what I'm going to tell you is that how you receive the word is going to determine whether or not you actually benefit from it and produce fruit. Are you with me today? See, a lot of times we try to blame the church, blame the pastor, blame our small group leader for our problems. And I've discovered many times the problem is is how you receive it. Look at what Jesus says. Let's, can we walk through this in my, in my remaining time? Text says this. One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large group to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. Can we keep going? It says what? A farmer went out to plant his seed and he scattered it across his field. Some fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for what? For lack of what? Lack of moisture. Next verse, let's read. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Next verse. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Next verse. Let's read. It says, his disciples asked him, what this parable meant. Next verse, read. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach the others so the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. Keep reading. Text says this. 
This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is what? God's word. Next verse, let's go. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. Next verse. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. Keep reading. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. Next verse. I think, personally, I believe a lot of Christians are in that category right there. Never growing into maturity. All right? And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Now, guys, Jesus knew that many were following him not because they wanted to know God, not because they were genuine and sincere, but a lot of people were following him because of the social identification or the good feelings or some needs were being met or or, or because they're families and friends, or some, just like many today, some people come to church and they're involved in a ministry because uh, they feel obligated to do it because their spouse is coming. And what would it look like if my spouse goes, but I don't go? But you're really not bought in. You're really not dialed in. There, there are many who are members of this church, have been here for a long period of time, and I love you, I love you, I, God knows I love you, but you're not interested in really growing. And doing this stuff, doing what the word says, even though we talk about the word of God, we are a word based church. We're preaching the word of God. I recognize and I realize that if your heart is not conditioned to receive the seed of the word of God, that even though the very same word is coming and revolutionized somebody else's marriage, it's not having any impact on your marriage. I gave you the praise report last week um, and um, Mac and Monica Harrison, they're, they're out of town this week. Uh, but I, I shared that praise report about how God had blessed them to pay off their house 22 years early. But what I didn't tell you was, uh, you know, it, it may have been 10, 12 years ago, we had a marriage retreat in Little Rock, Arkansas. And prior to that marriage retreat, Mac and Monica were getting ready not to even be together. They, they were ready to call it quits and go their separate ways. But they came and they heard a word at the retreat that they not only heard it, but they took it and hid in their hearts and it resulted in life transformation for their marital relationship such that they got on the same page, they started moving in the same direction, everything went perfect, but, but, but they got a word that they received in their hearts. And they didn't just come just to eat and go hang out. They came to learn. And back in those days, we... we I, I had to learn better because at marriage Street, we would teach all day. I'm like, while I got you, I'm going to pour it into you. In the name of Jesus, you're going to get this word. And we'll teach from 8.30 to 4.30. Why y'all talking about ooh? Some of y'all, some, some need it 8.30 to 4.30. Now, we've learned better now. We give, we give you half a day to let you go out and, 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 and hang out together. But my point is this. When they came and heard the word, they didn't just mentally assent to it. They took it and hid it in their hearts and began to make life transformation. And as your pastor, guys, that's all I'm after. 
I just, I just, I just pray that you would hear me when I say the word of God has the power to transform your existence. If only you will receive it in your heart and not just mentally assent to it and amen it and then walk right out this door and then when you're challenged by the enemy, you forget everything I told you. And that's what is happening. And that's why many people are not experiencing a life transformation in the various areas of their life. Because guys, we got to, we got to, Jesus wants us to take this word and to begin to walk it out. Uh, so, but, but, but Jesus knew that a lot of people were following him just for the miracles. A lot of them were following just for, uh, to get a healing, to, 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 to be fed. And, and so we got to make sure that we're following him because we have a relationship with him and we want to, we want to get, get, get to a point where we are growing in him. In sharing the parable, Jesus said four things happened to the seed when it was something. Now, what is the seed again? It's the word of God. The seed is the word of God. I told you that the use of scripture by Jesus was, was very paramount in his life of community with his disciples. He was oftentimes, now again, remember, he did not have the New Testament. He was, he was teaching from Old Covenant, Old Testament. But guess what? Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament. The Bible speaks of our master, our savior. From Genesis to Revelation, you got Jesus in there. And he would unpack the scriptures to show them, amen, his role and what he came to do for them and to stimulate their faith walk. So, but again, we see some seed fell by, the KW says, the wayside or off to the side, out of the field upon the walking path. Y'all, y'all know what a trail, how many of y'all grew up in the country you had trails throughout the woods? And the more that path is walked upon, that, that ground becomes hardened. And so when, you, when you're casting out seed, you don't want seed to fall uh, by the wayside or, or on that beating path because it's not going to go down into the soil. Can I get a witness? So the path and the rose were trodden down and the soil was hard. Therefore, the seed just laid on the top and the birds came by and devoured. That's what happened to some, some believers when they come and hear a message. Their hearts are so hardened that the seed of the word, you can hear it and you can mentally assent it. You can say amen to it. But you sit there and, and it doesn't go into your heart. And so what happens is a temptation comes and it comes and, 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 and now you've, it comes and snatches that word away. Are y'all with me today? So when you're hearing words, so some fell by the wayside, it's, it had no depthness to it. It was shallow. And so the birds and the fowls of the air come and swoop it up. Let me tell you something right now. Every time you hear a word that can transform your life, the enemy will come to try to change your mind about that word. Okay, he's going to come and change your mind about what you were taught on Sunday and what you're learning on Wednesday. You are going to be challenged in the condition of your heart. How you receive that word is going to determine whether or not it's going to produce fruit or not. So some fell by the wayside. Some fell upon the rock. That is a large layer of rock laying right underneath the surface. Okay, this seed, of course, grew quickly because of the water lying upon the rock right after a rain, but it soon withered away because the water was soon evaporated, leaving nothing but dry soil. So it, it withered away quickly. Sometimes you receive a word, you get excited about it. Oh, God, bless the name of Jesus. I heard a word that's going to transform my finances, going to transform the way I deal with people. And God, Lord, I'm, I'm dialed in. I'm ready to go. And then the trial comes. The test comes. And because your heart was not condition as the good ground seed, uh, you know, it, it, you start to wither. Can we get back there right quick, if you will? 
let's go, uh, go, go back to Luke, the eighth, uh, eighth chapter. And, and let's, let's take a look at this one more time, okay? I want you all to see this. Uh, he says this in verse, uh, verse number 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of the, par- the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God's word. Next verse is what? The seeds that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from, being, from believing and being saved. How many of y'all have been taught something and you heard it and you were excited about it? Then the enemy came and started attacking you. Do you, have you ever wondered, was that by accident or happenstance? Or was that divinely, not divinely, but it was, it was purposeful? Let me tell you something. It is purposeful because the devil don't want you to get word inside your heart. Because he knows if you get in your heart, the summer says, Thy word have I hid where? In my heart that I might not what? Sin against thee. So if he can catch the word before it gets down into the good ground of your heart, then he can, he can stop you from doing that word. Jesus used scripture quite often. He talked about scripture when he dealt with his disciples. So he says, the seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. Next verse says what? Watch this. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message, right? Who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while. Some things are not going to come right away. Say, for instance, you've been dealing with an issue in, your, let's say, whatever, maybe a relationship with your kids or your marriage or, or a fellow church member. Uh, then, then all of a sudden somebody hurt you deeply and now you hear a word on forgiveness and you, gotta, you, you, got to, you, you know that as a believer that it's not optional for us to not forgive. Do y'all realize that? Can I come to this side of here? Do you realize that we, have, we are obligated as born-again believers to forgive. Because Jesus said, if we don't forgive others, our sins will not be forgiven. So we are obligated. But now, when, when, whenever you first face that, if somebody has hurt you deeply, I mentioned this last week, and I mentioned it again, because some of y'all are struggling with forgiveness or even understanding what forgiveness entails. Forgiveness means that, that, that I no longer place that debt or that issue on your account. I'm not holding that against you. In other words, when I look at you, I'm not allowing what happened to cause me to deal with you in a way that's not God honoring. Okay? So, so forgiveness, forgiveness has to be something that's born out of our connectivity with God. Because it's hard to forgive somebody if you don't know Jesus real well. Are you with me today? Because people will come, uh, and, and many of all of us, if you are if you if you are living life in community with anybody, any fallible human being, at some point in time, a church member or a member of your family is going to hurt you. You're going to experience hurt. But my 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 admonition to you is is to learn from that. And don't allow it to make you become bitter, but you become better. As a pastor for 32 years, I can tell you that people will, will, will be with you one day and then they'll dog you out the next day. How many of y'all got some family members that, 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 that right now you, you, you're not in good relationship with? 
Look at me. Look at me. Come on. Just, how many got some family members that, 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 okay, things are not quite right? How many got some church members that things are not quite right? Or they, you, you hurt or you, you, you're experiencing pain and heartache. Listen, I, I'm not not, I'm, listen, I'm not saying dismiss the pain and heartache. What I'm saying is if we learn how to forgive and we learn how to have emotionally healthy relationships like we learn and we learn how to go in and whenever a person has an alt between us and a brother, we go to them one-on-one rather than blasting it on social media. When you learn how to do that the right way, you can have healthy relationships and you can learn how to forgive. Seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. These are the conditions of the heart. So my question, keep reading, next one, next, watch it. Says The seeds that fell upon the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares of the riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. How many of y'all allowing the cares of this life? Money, resources, entertainment, allowing that to take the place of God in your life. Isn't it amazing how we can say, I don't have time to study? Come on, how, how many have been guilty of saying, I don't have time to get into God's? Think about the audacity of that statement. The God who saved you, who delivered you, who transformed your life, who saved your kids, the God that healed your body, and you're telling him, I'm too busy. Now, everybody look ahead. Because I, I imagine every last one of us in here are guilty. Touch this and I'm guilty. Come on and say it again. I'm guilty. The job, the company that God blessed you with, you'll, you'll say, I got to work at my job so much that I can't spend time with God in prayer for 15 minutes. I can't pull away. I can't, I don't have time to do this discipleship training. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm a busy man. I'm a busy woman. But yet God is your Savior and your Lord. See, when you, when, when you operate on the kingdom principles, guys, we, there, there are no excuses for not being with God. We, we find time. And I'm going to tell you, let me say this right quick too. Find, you, you, you What you spend your time with is usually what you are beholden to. And it becomes an idol in your life. Even your kids can become idols. Let me say this right quick. Now, all, all, all our kids are pretty much out of the house. So, so you, you have young kids. Hear me careful. I'm not throwing stones at you, but, but listen to this. How is it that we can run over all creation with our children, taking them to every tournament, every recital, everything that, that they can do in school and everything else, but we can't get them involved in ministry? As they say on the, on the street, make it make sense. Make it make sense. We can, we can do all these things, and those things in, them, in themselves are not wrong, but how is it that we can run and do everything in every other sphere of life, but when it comes time to doing things for God, just spending 30 minutes a day, we don't have time. Yet we sit there with that remote control, Sit there and watch a two and a half hour football game and think nothing of it. And think that, 
Okay, God's okay with that. I'm here to tell you, he's not. Because he's desiring to have intimacy with you. And so how you receive this word is going to determine how you grow. Third thing, let me get to the third point on your outline and we're closing on this one. He taught teaching soul winning and evangelism. He taught soul winning and evangelism. When's the last time you witnessed to somebody? When's the last time you had a conversation with someone and said, you know, God, give me, give me wisdom to know what this person is in their walk. And, 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 I, and, and just, just give me the wisdom so, so it, and allow me to have a conversation with them and give me the opportunity to begin to share my faith with them. Practically everything that Jesus said and did has some relevance to their work of evangelism either by explaining a spiritual truth or revealing to them how they should deal with people. And how many of y'all know we all got to work on dealing with people? We all got to get better at dealing with people, right? Because some of y'all say, Pastor, if I had to deal with people, I'd be all right. Guess what? God saved you to deal with people. So how are you, pray tell me, going to please your God and you're running away from people? Let's learn, okay? Let's get comfortable being uncomfortable, if, that, if that's what it takes. All the disciples had to teach them was a teacher who practiced with them what he expected them to learn. They had, they had the master teacher who was just living this stuff out. Evangelism was lived before them in spirit and in technique. Watching him, they learned what it was all about. And see, People should be watching you. As a pastor, I'm looking for people. I'm looking for saints to be growing. And so that when younger uh, baby Christians come in, they can see how you're doing life. But please, please don't be that Christian who's been connected with the church for a long period of time, been saved, but you're still an infant. Still cussing. Yes, I said cussing. And as a believer, the words of your mouth, let no filthy communication proceed out of your mouth of that which is good to the edifying and the building of the Lord's name Jesus Christ. So stop cussing. Let me come to this side over here. Do we have some profanity users in here? Somebody said, no, I bet you we do. One of the signs of immaturity is, is the inability to control your tongue. Don't say everything that comes to your mind. And then be proud of it. Well, you know, I just tell them what's on my mind. Some stuff you need to keep to yourself. So as your pastor, I'm looking for believers who are growing. So I can, if, if I partner someone who's young in the faith with you, will you mess them up? Or will you be instrumental in their growth as a Christian? We're talking about being intermingled, right? So, so evangelism is lived before them in spirit and technique. Watching him, they learn what it was all about. He led them to recognize the need inherent in all classes of people and the best methods of approaching them. All classes of people. See, this gospel message is for everyone. And don't you hold it back just for uh, people that look like you. We have a responsibility to minister to whoever God brings across our path. 
And it's interesting that God would bring some, an eclectic group of people across our path. And he does that for a reason. To give you the opportunity to bond with them and share life with them. Are y'all with me today? They observed how he drew people to himself, how he warned their confidence and inspired their faith, how he opened to them the way of salvation and called them to a decision. Last scripture, we got, we got to get out of it. John 9, verse 1 through 6. Watch this. And while we're going to notice, Jesus didn't ask, he didn't ask anyone to do or be anything that he had not demonstrated first in his own life, thereby proving its workability, but also its relevance to his mission in life. We got to be doers of this word and not hearers only. That's what I'm telling you as your pastor. It's time for the church to stand up and be the church. And guys, I promise you, I promise you, as sure as I'm black and I am, <laughs> thought about James Brown and say it loud. <laughs> James was making a political statement back at the time of this song. But, but guys, as sure as I'm black and I'm standing here, this has to be the order of the day for the body of Christ here. And I, and I say that facetiously, so don't, you know, um, my, my, my faith in Christ Jesus takes precedent over everything in my life. And I, I'm telling you right now, you can be mad at me, but I'm going to teach you the truth. And I'm going to challenge you to live this Christian walk in full view for the world to see. I don't want to see us messing people up because we're messed up. God can heal us, deliver us, and set us free. Watch what he says. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples, asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins of his parents' sin? See, everything that happened in your life is not because of sin. Some things happen so that God can get the glory out of your life. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened to the, so the power of God could be seen in him. Next verse. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us signed us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, what did he say? I am the light of the world. Verse number six says what? Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Next verse, read it says what? He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back what? Seeing, he came back seeing. Jesus here is 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 now uh, uh, reaching out and sharing. And this man here, um, when he uh, when he uh, came forth seeing, uh, it was a powerful testimony. He was delivered from his physical ailment, ailment, but he's also delivered spiritually too. And so, uh, evangelism. It's the order of the day for us as a church. And we got we to gotta make evangelism and soul winning an integral part of what we do in our life. Because we want to bring deliverance to those who we're in contact with. Amen? 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 Amen. Amen. Everybody say, deliver me, Lord.